Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. say this a lot when I speak, but I, I just want to start this off by saying this, this sort of mantra that I go through sometimes, because it's just heavy on my heart. As I'm breaking through in worship earlier, I just realized that how often I don't. Why? Because I come to church sometimes expecting the same thing every time. I sing ch- churchy songs, I put some money in a plate, I listen to Josh or whoever the pastor is in my church say some words, and then I go eat at Golden Corral or Chinese or wherever I go. Listen, when we come to God's house, if we're not coming expecting something, something real to happen, then why are we doing this? We could just go to a social club and have lunch together and play golf or whatever people at social clubs do. I don't even know, but... But my point is this, this is not coming together. Listen, community is super important. But the reason we really come here most of all is to have community in the presence of a living God. A God that changes things. When Every time you open this Bible to read it, you should be expecting to be transformed or conformed to the image of Christ. When you raise your hands in worship, you should be expecting chains to fall off of you. If you don't, then maybe it's because you've grown stagnant or maybe it's because you don't really know God. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. I'm reading out of the NIV. Listen to the words that, that the Apostle Paul authors here. Probably some of my favorite words in Scripture. It says, but whatever were gains to me... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them now garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Just keep reading. It says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death so that somehow I can obtain resurrection from the dead. Oh God, thank you for your word. Lord, I don't take it lightly, the fact that we have your written expression, Lord, a living, alive word to communicate with us, Lord. It's not just words, smart words on a paper, Lord. It's not just words of wisdom. God, it's your, it's your word. Spoke to us, Lord, empowered by your spirit, Lord. Lord, I pray that as this scripture says that we know you and that we, that we, we understand your sufferings on the cross, God, so that we can obtain the resurrection and life and power through you. Lord, I pray in these next couple of minutes we just conform to your image god be with us here now move in power in jesus name amen so i used to have a lot of different desires before i came to god i was a musician you know just like every other person you have plans you have things you want to do um you have a a path lined out for yourself you know things that were important to me things that i I put my money and my time towards. 
And I don't say this in a boastful way, but I can honestly say that there is nothing I want more in life than to conform to the image of Christ now. There's nothing I want more. There's no greater burden I have than to preach the gospel to people like you and to live it out in front of these men day by day, to live it out in front of my wife behind the closed doors of our house. I want to live Christ out in the earth. I'm not a perfect man. In fact, the closer I grow to Christ, the more imperfect I realize that I am. When I look across a room like this, sometimes it, it pains me to realize, and not, not that I'm pointing fingers, I don't know many of you, and I probably won't talk to many of you again, but it pains me to know that people will come into the presence of the living God and turn and walk out the door the same way they came. I did it so many times in my life. And I'm not just talking about an emotional experience. I'm not talking about just getting goosebumps. I'm talking about something grabbing hold of your heart and changing you. Do you want to live a life that counts? If you're a Christian, do you want to make an impact for the glory of God? Then think about the thing you love most in life. Think about your wife, your kids, your career, that beautiful house that you've spent all these years remodeling and building up. Think about all that stuff, everything, your, your hopes, your dreams. And then take your perception of Christ and put it up next to those things. And my question is this. Are, are they periling, are they valuing so, so much smaller next to your, your, your perception of Christ than those things are? Does everything next to Christ look like, Paul says, like rubbish, like garbage? Now listen, I'm not calling your wife or your family or your house. I'm not calling those things garbage. What I'm saying is, compared to Christ, do those things pale in comparison? In Luke 14, 26 and 27, it says, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate father, mother, brother, sister, children, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Who does not carry their own cross and deny themselves cannot follow me. Now, don't go home and... Be mean to your wife and say that the preacher today at church said to be mean. What this scripture is, the Greek word there is saying, is basically that the the relationship, the dedication, the obligation, the relationship you have with Christ Jesus is so much greater. It's so farther in first place than everything else that it almost looks like hate by comparison. And the truth of the matter is this. Unless you put Christ first in your life, you can't really love and handle and manage and appreciate those other things anyway. Leave everything you know in exchange for suffering and worldly loss and the burden of a cross. How could that ever be worth it? Jesus. To truly and intimately know and be known by Jesus is worth it. God wants everything from us. He wants the kind of relationship that that you give your all to him and he gives his all to you. 
And I'll tell you how good he is. He already gave his all. Not based on what we would do. He said, here it is. We sing all these songs in church nowadays about reckless love and this wild sort of love. And it's great that we sing them. But do we understand what they're really saying? We're saying that God was so extravagant with his love for us that he said, here it is. Every bit of it. No strings attached. Every bit of my heart, my soul, my love, my blood. You know, it talks about suffering. He was willing to suffer for you. Are we willing to suffer for him? Being in a relationship is about, listen, if, we're, if, if I'm just riding with you and times are good, that's an easy relationship to be in. What do they say nowadays? God wants you to be ride or die. Right? It's all in. But it's not based on the law. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. Does God expect us to live out a life that's reflecting of this word? Does God want us to obey him and not sin? Yes. But he also gives us the way to do it. And it's through the power of Christ. And it starts with a loving relationship with Christ. Let me tell you how that works. When I met my wife, who couldn't be here with us today, who is a beautiful, amazing woman of God that I'm so blessed to have. She's so, like, two levels out of my league. And I'm being generous. Maybe more like three. She, she's a lovely, lovely woman of God. But when I met my wife, she didn't walk up to me one day. Well, first of all, it's because I walked up to her. But she didn't walk up to me when I barely knew her and said, here's a list of what it would take to be in a relationship with me. And uh, you're going to need to make sure you do this. You can't see any other girls. You need to be here. Do this. Do that. I would have like, well, what was your name again? What do you want? That's how we approach God sometimes. See, God doesn't want that. What God wants for us is to have a relationship where we fall in love with him. Now listen, there is truth to, to living out obedience. We owe God obedience. He created us. We're created beings. He's a sovereign creator. But God didn't come at us that way for some reason. I don't know why, but he didn't. Instead, he laid it all down for us. And so when it says, should we live a life of obedience and sacrifice to God? The question really is, do you love him? Because he already answered that question. And when you didn't follow through on your end, he didn't give up on you. But that doesn't mean that we should take for granted the fact that God is merciful and loving and say, listen, I'm just going to go keep on living my, my sinful life. My wife loves me, but if I said, listen, you know, I had an affair and probably going to have another one, but I know you love me. Well, my wife isn't perfect, so that wouldn't go over too well. I only say that to, to draw a real example for you. It's not a question of does God love us. It's a question, do we love him? And are we willing to live that out? When I stood up and, and agreed to be my wife's husband in front of all my family and friends, I knew I wouldn't be the perfect husband. But there were things I knew I wasn't going to do when I said I forsake all others. And I'll be honest. And I'll be there in sickness and health and, and good and bad. Have I made some mistakes along the way? Yes. But I didn't set out to make them. 
God wants to raise up men and women of faith who will take his burden for the lost, take his burden for the church, take his burden for the kingdom. The burden isn't a bad thing. We used to, I used to hear people say that in the old church, and I'd be like, you know, I've got a burden for souls. You know, it's like, but listen, I do have a burden for souls. Don't you have a burden for your kids? Don't you think about, am I going to be able to get them in good college? Are we going to get through this trial in my son's life? Don't we have a, we have a burden for things we love. Matthew seven thirteen through 14 says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. This is what I like to call narrow road Christianity. And in my opinion, it's the only real Christianity. See, Christianity isn't a social thing that we do. It isn't a meeting together of people. It isn't a class we have as Americans. Oh, well, you know, drive Chevys, we eat apple pie, we're Christians. Listen, that's not what Christianity is. This broad road they're talking about is the road we're born on. See, going with the flow or doing what everyone else is doing isn't, isn't living a life for Christ. What we do when we, when we decide to live for Christ is we take a detour and we start going another direction. Abraham passed through that narrow road. You, know, you guys know about Abraham? You guys ever heard the scripture in Matthew 5 where it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit? See, Abraham was poor in spirit. You know how I know this? Because Abraham had a lot of stuff. And Abraham had everything he wanted in life, but he didn't have one thing, and that was a son, an heir. And God had promised that he was going to work out an entire generation and populate the world with Abraham's descendants. But it's hard to do that without an heir, right? So one day, in his ailing age, he blesses him with a, a, a son, an Isaac. Can you imagine how much he loved that boy after waiting on him for a hundred years? So now he has the blessing. He's got the blessing that God gave him, and all is well. Or is it? See, the Bible says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What does that mean? Well, God wanted to know something about Abraham's love for him, and here's what it was. I gave you a blessing. Do you love the blessing more than you love me? This is real Christianity, my friends. This is real narrow road Christianity. And what did he tell Isaac to do? You guys know the story. He said, take your son to the top of Mount Moriah and plunge a knife in him for a sacrifice. You say, God ain't going to tell you to do something counterintuitive? Well, there's a case study that says that that isn't true. I don't know what Abraham was doing at that moment. I don't know if it, you know, the scripture doesn't talk about how his attitude was or if he was trepidatious. I can only imagine what he went through. But guess what? He took his son to the top of the mountain. And in one moment, he proved his love for God without a doubt. He let, raised the knife. But of course, God said, wait, don't harm the boy. Because he didn't want the blessing. He wanted his heart. And that, my friends, is what it means to be poor in spirit. See, not to not have things, but to be unhinged from things. It didn't matter what Abraham, he, they, nothing could take his peace, nothing could take his life, nothing could take anything away from him because he'd already given it all up. So when we come at Christianity praying that God will bless us and fix this and do that and blah, 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 
we come in the wrong way. We got to come through the narrow gate. Now listen, I know we're running out of time, but I want to tell you, the reason I bring all this up is to, to draw us back to our text. The man who wrote this text, his name was the Apostle Paul. But in a former life, he was called Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was a man who was, who, who, who was a Pharisee, persecuting Christians, in line to be the high priest one day, had social status, had everything he needed in life. But he didn't go down that road. Why? Because one day he had a dramatic encounter with the Savior of the universe. We all know the story, do we? When Jesus meets, meets Paul on the Damascus Road and not only changes his name, but changes the course of his life forever. So this man who gave up everything he had to go be an apostle to the Gentiles. This is a man who knew what Christ meant. He was a man who walked into a place God told him to go preach. And when they didn't receive him and threw stones at him, he went and dusted himself off and came back and preached again. This is a guy who loved hard, served hard, gave hard. But not because he was trying hard to be a good Christian. It's because he was fixated with a passion and a love for Christ that couldn't be contained. That anything put up next to it looked like garbage next to it. That is what we need when we look at Jesus. We need a revelation of Christ that says nothing matters as much as you. Our Christianity is not about us. In fact, it's not, a, it's not a gospel of self-empowerment at all. It's a gospel of self-denial. Christ says, if you'll humble yourself, I'll raise you up. For me, that moment happened in a jail cell. For the sake of time, I'll, I'll just let you guys know. Made some poor choices. It sounds really like PC when you said that. I made some poor choices. No, I, I'll tell you the truth. I sold drugs. I smoked drugs. I drank, drive, lived life like a thug. Lived life to gratify myself. I didn't start out that way. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. But at some point, it became who I was, and it got out of hand. And I found myself sitting in a jail cell. And of course, like people do in jail, I'm like, God, help me. But guess what? He'll meet us in the jail cell. He'll meet you in the crack house. God will come to where you are, and he did for me. And I had a man in jail begin to show me the the word of God and preach the gospel to me. This guy had been incarcerated for a long time. And he he was walking his faith out. Amongst all these other guys pretending like they're gangsters and thugs and and, pretending who they were on the outside. This one lone guy shined like a bright light in there. His name was Tyrone. And when he spoke, the word of God came out. And, And he talked about Christianity in a way I never heard before. It was real. His life was real. They laughed. He didn't care. He didn't care what happened. All he wanted to do was communicate this message to me. And he did. And even though that moment my life wasn't changed forever, I still came out and struggled and ended up having to go through this wonderful program of Teen Challenge. Seeds were planted in me that were incorruptible, unchangeable. He, listen, I've been to jail lots of times. I hope that doesn't bother you. But that, but that time in jail is seared in my mind forever. The name Tyrone Jackson is seared in my mind forever. 
And it was my first real encounter with the Christ who created the universe. Because a man was bold enough. Why? Because he didn't care what everybody else thought. And because of that, today I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care if the world looks at me and says you're a fool. I don't care if I'm not hip enough or PC enough or they say you're not scientific or you don't because you still believe in that old fable, that old wise tale, that that old outdated religion. Let me tell you something. There's a reason why in our culture today that suicide has doubled over five times. There's a reason why people are walking around without hope. With, and they, they, they know it may be over there. Maybe it's part of that church. Maybe there's a group. Maybe there's some medication. Maybe there's something I can do. But let me tell you, my friends, we have the answer. And I know if you go to this church, you know the gospel. So what are we going to do about it? I'm not going to rally you up and say, try harder and go witness more and preach more. What I'm going to tell you to do is this. Get in your prayer closet. Get in your prayer closet. Get in your word and start praying to God. What do you, what do you want? For? Well, I can't do this shit anyway because I'm still messed up. And No. Don't wait till you're cleaned up to start, li- to start living your life out for God. Is that the case? I wouldn't be up here. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling too. Until... Every area of your life, good or bad, the beautiful things, wife, kids, good job. These aren't bad things. I'm I'm not, I'm saying these things are beautiful blessings of God. Until those things next to Christ almost look like garbage. They're so much smaller. Guess what happens on the other side? Even that junk, your past, all that stuff. Listen, everything good, bad. Paul's name, his heritage as a Pharisee, who he thought he was, good or bad, guess what? It all gets left at the cross. Some of us come to the cross with a past like mine, and I'm happy to leave it there. Whoa, let me unhinge from this past. But some of you have a good past that you're, you have a lot of confidence in your flesh and a lot of confidence in your own ability and a confidence in your bank account and your swagger and your mouthpiece. And let me tell you something, that gets left at the cross too. There are no racial divides at the cross. There's no socioeconomic, there's no America or another country. We are about Jesus and Jesus Christ crucified. We are a people unto God and everything else, everything is secondary. Everything. We are God's people. Just in closing, all this message really is is just a call. Yeah, play some spiritual music on the guitar. <laughs> this is a call to the thing I wrote my book about, the thing that changed Paul's life, the thing that took a, a bonehead fisherman like Peter who was was just loud and outspoken and constantly sticking his foot in his mouth. And you read the, the, the epistles of First and Second Peter and you see a man of deep humility. You see a man who was killing Christians and Paul, and this guy ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. You see transformation after transformation in men's lives. I, I, listen, I have the most amazing job in the world. I literally get to watch men who are truly on death's doorstep. Mentally, like Marco said, no identity or the wrong identity. And I get to watch God do his thing.
I get to watch God literally. When, listen, when we preach the gospel and the cross to people, do you understand why the death aspect of the cross is so important? Yes, the resurrection is important. But why is the, why is the death on the cross so important? Why is death so important? Because something has to die. Listen, you ain't taking that, old, that junk into your new life. Who you were, good or bad, it gets laid down. And for that to happen, you have to see the value of the Savior. There is no middle ground. I don't know if any, any preacher or any person ever told you that God wants to, you know, just fit a little God into your life, add some daily quotes into your life. You know, just put a little God in your life and it'll, it'll make your... That's not God. The, the gospel is not a, a, a positive affirmation. It's an ultimatum. The gospel is what our, our life changes by. Because it's literally... And here's the, the part I want you to get. I'm not sitting here trying to... When I preach to men who aren't saved in our program or in the streets or in a church... Because I know they're in the church too... I don't think that the sound of my voice or how good or not good my words connect with you are going to do anything. I know that it's only the power of the Holy Spirit that can actually call someone out of their death into life. Don't you realize salvation is literally something dead? Something that is dead coming to life. And for that, my friends, we need the author of life. We need Jesus. Jesus ain't a bumper sticker. He's not a white British dude on a movie walking around like we saw growing up. That's not Jesus. Jesus in the flesh was a a first century Jewish man who worked with his hands as a carpenter, but coincidentally had been the same God who created the universe with with the words in his mouth. For some reason decided he loved us enough to take on flesh. Think about this as a grown man or a grown woman becoming a baby. The humility of having to be a baby. Get your diapers changed. All of that living a life aimed at the cross. Hey, Jesus, come here, go there. No, that's not what I'm here for. My life is aimed towards the cross. My heart is aimed towards the cross. Wait, wait a second, Jesus, what about the earthly kingdom? My eyes are fixed on the cross. You don't understand, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. My life is aimed at the cross. And guess what? He fulfilled that. Now the question is this. Is our life aimed at the cross? Is our heart aimed at the cross? I don't know how they normally do it here. I know Josh will handle it however he does afterwards. But I just want to urge you. Listen, I know that most of you probably are in Christ in here. But if there's someone who's not, this isn't some self-gratifying thing. Where I want you to get you to raise your hand. And I can go, oh, six people raised their hand this week. I'm I'm pleading with your eternity, with your heart, with your soul, and saying, listen, if you don't know what it means to truly live narrow road, Christ-centered, blessed life, from death to life, Christianity, get with Pastor Josh. Give us someone else in this church and ask them. It's okay. Listen, examine it. Don't Don't take eternity for granted. Because if it's not something that you're sure about, it's probably not there. It's okay. It's okay. 
It's not about a moment in time where I, I just push you hard enough to get you to raise your hand. It's about a spirit of God reaching out to you and drawing your spirit out and saying, I want a different life. Listen, I know what it's like to sit in the dope house. I know what it's like to sit in the bar. I know what it's like to, to be in the ditch. I know what it's like to be in the jail cell. I even know what it's like to be in corporate America feeling completely alone. I know God's calling out to somebody right now. You can ask my guys. I don't say this hardly ever when I preach. I know God's calling out to somebody. Don't walk out of here the same way. Don't walk out of here the same way. Don't you realize that we're not promised the next breath? You leave out of here and get in a car accident. You can walk out of here. I mean, who knows what can happen? Every breath is a gift. Don't take this one for granted. 